Welcome to Revolutionize Your Retirement Radio, bringing you insights and strategies to help you create a magnificent and fulfilling second half of life. Here's your host, certified professional retirement coach and best-selling author, Dr. Dorian Mincer. I want to welcome all of you to this fourth Tuesday Revolutionize Your Retirement interview with expert series. I'm Dory Mincer, your host and owner of Revolutionize Retirement. Today we'll focus on positive, vital aging lifelong. So I want to introduce my two wonderful guests who are both great friends and colleagues, Dan Hively and Meg Newhouse. As I mentioned, they're both pioneers and veterans in the field of positive, vital aging. So let me tell you a little about each of them. Jan describes herself as an encore entrepreneur. In Minnesota, after a career in city planning and administration, she earned her Ph.D. in 2001 at age 69 with a dissertation on productive aging in rural communities. Since then, she's focused on transforming expectations for aging, realizing the potential for positive aging based on 21st century trends and research. She's co-founded several thriving networks that support positive aging, which include the Vital Aging Network, the Shift Network, and a global program exchange called the Pass It On Network. As a Purpose Prize Fellow, she's an internationally known presenter and consultant for programs that engage older adult leadership, and she supports meaningful work paid or unpaid through the last breath. That's really Jan's mantra, and I often quote her when I give talks. She, her academic degrees were earned at Harvard University and University of Minnesota. Jan's just a really special person and an incredible friend and role model for me. Meg Newhouse. So let me tell you about Meg. In both her personal and professional life, Meg has sought to call out passion and purpose in her students, coaching clients, and even friends and colleagues. And I can attest to that. She's just a phenomenal person. For nearly 25 years, she's been centrally involved in what could be called the positive aging movement. As a post-midlife coach, a workshop facilitator, a consultant, and an author. In 2002, she founded and co-led the Life Planning Network, a national community of professionals committed to a holistic model for helping people thrive in the second half of life. And more recently, she's been engaged with the Conscious Elder Network from its very early stages. Makes helped plan five positive aging conferences and has written three how-to books, as well as co-edited the LPN Life Live Smart After 50 book. In the past few years, she's focused on later life and legacy, which is represented by her wonderful book, Legacies of the Heart, Living a Life That Matters. She also has many other passions, foremost her family, which includes four grandchildren and friends, and also including her music. She's a serious amateur flutist, yoga, nature, and state of the nation and world, interested in all of those things and all kinds of learning and personal spiritual growth. She lives in Boston with her husband of 50 years. So both of these women are just very special, and those of, many of you on the phone know them. Many of you will get to know them today. And it's been really fun planning this presentation with them. And the goal really is to have it be a fun interaction between them and me, but mostly between them. So without further ado, I'm just delighted to have Jan and Meg with us. And maybe we'll just start with what is positive aging? It may be helpful to kind of 
give a definition so we kind of all know what we're dealing with. So I start, Meg, just a minute, and then have ask you to talk about the history of the movement. Okay, uh, what I we will do, oh. I want you to add, and, and before I start, I just want to say how, how honored and <laughs> delighted I am to be sharing this with you, Jan, and oh. also to... And also to recognize that there are many pioneers, I am assuming, I know of some, that are listening in today. And and I'm looking forward to real conversation next week because there are so many of you out there. Well, I, my the way I would put it is positive aging is both an, regarding aging positively as a time of growth and opportunity as well as challenge and creating a life that enhances well-being and engagement and and this would be both from an individual standpoint and a societal perspective but I'm, I think you would want to add maybe some things Jan. Well just one point I think is just that it complements the the system went when it was initiated at that first positive aging conference in 2007 you think about the system of services that have developed to meet the needs of primarily frail elderly people and you think okay so how do we complement that by recognizing the strengths and the potential of older adults that was what i was involved with with my phd thesis looking at what was going on in rural communities and finding out that where they were the only ones because the young people had left and gone to the cities they were doing all the work and not only were they doing the work of being on the county commissions and operating their grocery stores until they were in the 90s at all Et cetera, et cetera, and caring for each other, not just their, their their relatives, but their friends and neighbors. They were also happy about it. They felt as if they were in control of life and felt very positive about the fact, in fact, that the 80-year-olds are saying, this is the best time of my life. So it was really exploring the other half, which complements the existing system and the two parts together, I think, are important to write to to recognize. Yeah. Tell us it. So let's talk. A, you, you've just begun to mention a little of the history, Jan. Let's let's really talk about the history of the positive aging movement because part of our goal today is to talk about the history, kind of where we've been, where we are now, and where we're going. So, Meg, do you want to kind of pipe sure, in and, I, and both of you, you know, join in together about the history? Yeah, I'll start it off. I, I will say that I we both think that we want to spend most time with the kind of accomplishments and where do we want to go. So I'm going to plan to be pretty superficial and quick, and if I need to be slowed down, let me know. We also decided that we would sort of officially look at the last decade from the first positive aging conference in 2007 till now as, as the sort of the the, the movement, but I want to talk about the really rich decade plus that preceded that where there were a whole, there's a whole lot going on that leads into the first positive aging con conference. For example, 
there was an international association of retirement planners that was looking at beyond just financial planning, and Helen Dennis was one of the people in that. And then Reb Zalman, Dr. Shalomi's book, his pioneering book, From Aging to Staging, came out in 1995, but he'd already, he'd already founded the Spiritual Eldering Institute in 89. Lynn Iser was the first and longtime executive director. The Roe and Con MacArthur study, Healthy Aging, came out in 1999. Ram Das had a conscious aging conference at Omega, I think around 2000. Mark Friedman founded Civic Ventures and wrote a book, Prime Time, How the Boomers Will Revolutionize Retirement and Save America. I can't remember the rest of that title. And he started out funding coming-of-age conferences all in this country and, of course, then morphed into Encore and giving purpose prizes. He was one of the ones that put the emphasis on all the gifts or strengths of this boomer generation and how they could use those to help solve the many problems of our country. And both from a first volunteer and then later for paid work. And it's really LPN group was formed directly after the coming of age conference 2002, but the conference was in the fall of 2001. And that was, and then I'm not going to say any more because Dory did, but Thanks to Judy Goggin, we were just a fledgling little regional organization, and she hooked us up to help with the planning of the first Positive Aging Conference in December 2007. We put a life planning pre-conference, we attached it at the beginning, and we supplied at least half of the whole conference attendees. I have to say it was a high point in my life because the excitement, first of all, we we got fabulous speakers, including Gene Cohen as a keynoter and Richard Leiter, and I'm forgetting some others, but it was also all these people from across the country coming who felt so excited to be on this sort of pioneering edge, and they felt that they'd have, they'd found a tribe. So it also led to the expansion, the national expansion of LPN. That brings us to the first Positive Aging Conference, and and so Jan's going to take it from here. Okay. Well, of course, Rick Moody was the spearhead, spearheaded it. He, and as you know, he's comes from a background as a philosopher, wrote the book Five Stages of the Soul, and was with AARP for a long time, and certainly has been very active with the Gerontological Society and ASA and a lot of many different organizations. And really, I think if, if there's a founder of the positive aging movement, he's it. He, the first one was held at Eckerd College in St. Petersburg in Florida in December 2007. And his goal, as he has said, was to offset the dominant ageist focus on meeting the needs of increasingly frail and elderly people by showing the potential for creative well-being throughout later life 
He said, I got tired of going to conferences about aging that were downers. He wanted to have a conference that was an upper. And as as Meg mentioned, Life Planning Network joined the planning effort, thanks to Judy Goggin, and added a life planning pre-conference and supplied almost half of the attendees at that first conference. Others were contributed in the same way, however. For example, Too Young to Retire, Howard and Marika Stone from Florida, used the conference as a as a, a way of doing a training for people from around the world who wanted to be part of their organization. And that's where I met the woman who is now my colleague and co-founder of the Global Pasadena Network, Moira Allen, who lives in Paris. She came from Paris, and Karen Greer came from Minneapolis, and there are other a whole bunch of other colleagues, now current colleagues, who were part of that original Too Young to Retire. But there, there, it was just so wonderful, and I think that the reason why is because it brought together the strands, the the emphasis, the the emphasis that we'll talk about when we talk about our accomplishments and the kind of intellectual foundation for the positive aging thinking. But just to think about what happened next, it, the, the others all have been arranged by Rick one way or another. The second conference was held in the Twin Cities, supported by the Center of Spirituality and Healing, or also known as the Center for Wellness at the University of Minnesota. There they we had the guy, oh, what's his name, who is the founder of Blue Zone, oh, Dan Butner. But- and uh, that was that was exciting and and that that, was actually uh, just to add that was an internet i mean that there was some people were there in person but it was a virtual conference so that you know people could sort of attend it in different settings wherever they were and beam in right Right. So then they went back to St. Petersburg in 2009 for a a, a several people from other countries who were working with us. And then maybe you could go on with the history make from there. Oh, I'm not so clear as you are on the on the chronology. 2010. And and 2011, uh, I think we had three conferences in a row there uh, in Los Angeles, supported by the Fielding Graduate University, uh, where Rick had been a fellow. Uh, People like Mike Corley, for example, were so so wonderfully active in helping to put that one together. We had a lot of lively uh, dancing and music, and this is one of the great things about these conferences, the fact that it not only, it wasn't academic, <laughs> it was about the active engagement of older adults themselves. And when you make mention that your, when you mentioned your how-to book, how-to is a big part of this. I find now, having just been at the International Federation for Aging Conference in Toronto, that there are, there's a lot of research out there and there are a lot of research reports about what matters and what doesn't matter. But, but, but there's this great gap between these reports and how older adults in need of, of what they say access that information. And what was, what's great about this, this how-to part of it and about every, every, every part of the positive aging conferences is it has tended 
to talk about the active engagement of older adults in each aspect of the of the program. You know, I would just uh, add here too that it was it was a very holistic view and you know included the arts and the life planning and the oh there were several different parts to it. So it was very Holistic. In uh, 2014, we were in Sarasota in Florida, which was, I think, a truly outstanding conference. Now, it was because they had the Institute on Aging recently established there in property that had once belonged to the Ringling people, Ringling Museum, and they put their, their full backing, and I'm sure a lot of money, into their, their production there. It was a, just a, a, a fabulous conference, and but unfortunately, three weeks after it was over, the woman who had just been a terrific coordinator was told that she was let go because the board of this organization had decided that they had put too much of their energy into getting people from around the world and around the country and into that conference and weren't doing what they should be doing for the people of Sarasota. So it was ended up being a sad ending, but it was a, it was a terrific conference. And that's where, for example, we did a world cafe with 180 people and produced a, re, a harvest report that summarized the, the, the feelings about what's important to positive aging from all of the participants. So that, that was 2014, and my memory was that we skipped 2015, but that we had this terrific conference again in Washington, D.C. in August of 2016, and it was in, in partnership with the Council of Senior Advisors. The, the coordinator was Judy Rupp, who is their senior strategic planner. And again, of course, Rick and his in, involvement with CSA was the one who created the pathway to that excellent conference. And finally, there, are, there have been two others since then. I guess one other since then. One, one other, yeah. One other. Yeah, this last spring. Yes. Right. Were you there, Dory, or, or yep. uh, I was, Meg? Yep. I was there. We both, yeah, all of us were there, right. In partnership with Masterpiece Living. Do you want to tell a little bit about it? I think we, my impression would be to move on so we can get to get, I would, I, if there's anything else you want to add to, but I, I don't think we need the, well, <laughs> Okay, I just want to mention about Masterpiece Living and what that is because okay. it's, yeah. it's led, led by Roger Landry and his brother, who Roger's the author of Live Long, Die Short, and also it is based upon the work of Rowan Kahn, the, their study on healthy aging, working as with senior living facilities around the country to improve their programming in order to be able to have a full life for residents of their, their facilities. And so this, this one was done in connection with that. And that was the last one. And of course, now we're going to talk about so, so, so what and what comes next. Well, before we move on to that, a couple of things. One, I just want to clarify because a question came in. LPN stands for Life Planning Network. And so sometimes Meg or Jan have been saying LPN and sometimes Life Planning Network, but that's what it stands for. And also, it was, I was just uh, given a little piece of information that there were 30 remote sites for the 2008 conference. 
So it really was, you know, had a wide reach, <laughs> just to oh. let you know that, which I didn't know that there were 30 remote sites, so that's interesting to know. So let's move on a little bit to the intellectual background, because these, all of these things weren't just happening in a vacuum, and there really were some very exciting intellectual, really intellectual and developmental underpinnings of the positive aging movement. So can we talk a little about that? Sure. I'll start with that anyway. I, I'll, yes, I, I certainly found this exciting. There was a real ferment going on again before the actual conference as, you know, a decade or more before and they were, there were many disciplines involved. Developmental psych, all about the stages of, of development well beyond adulthood. Erickson and, and, and Jean Cohen and Catherine Bateson, they were all Erickson followers. There were and anthropologists, uh, Angie Arian is the one that I think of, sociologists, Bill Sadler I know is in the audience and he was a real pioneer with his book in 2000 called The Third Age. And I know there were other social scientists but I'm going to skip over to the neurologists because they were looking at ways ways that the brain generated new neurons, neuroplasticity and changes in the brain as we age that are positive in contrast to the prevailing theory that our neuronal neuronal development stopped at, I don't know, early adulthood or something. So Cohen is the one who popularized that in his book, The Mature Mind. There was so much going on, and I will say that by the middle of the next, of the 2000s, it was really an explosion of books and media attention, I would say, increasing explosion. I also think it's helpful to consider the distinction between what I'll call a micro or individual perspective and a macro or cultural societal perspective because there were people working in both of these and the micro would be the stages of development, the opportunities and the challenges for individuals to navigate this transition in this new period, which we didn't have too many models for and all these how-to approaches, the coaching and the books. And the common themes there were purpose and meaning and giving back and legacy and engagement and creativity and the health benefits of all of these things. I think the positive psychology movement, and the, which was also focused on strengths, and the, there's another movement which was looking at communities and strengths and assets as opposed to liabilities. All of those, and there were all these organizations that were coming into play. I, I've mentioned some of them, and AARP got into this a little bit later, but it was important. And then there were the macro or the societal approaches, and they were looking, those people were looking at the demographic and the socioeconomic forces shaping both the opportunity and the challenges. And you would hear, you know, the gray silver tsunami thing, sort of thing. You get economists looking at labor and, and what, what did that mean? Robert Butler, names like Robert Butler, I think, Ken Dykewald probably, the Blue Zones, Bill Thomas was in there more recently. 
Bradley and Ashton Applewhite on her ageism, Laura Karstensen on the long, long life. So there's a whole there's a whole body of work on on that at that level as well. Just just again to emphasize how how that was both forming and also feeding on the positive aging movement. Yeah, there was it was such an exciting time and still has been. Jan, before yep. we move on to accomplishments, is there anything else you would like to add? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to. You mentioned that there was a, a, a drawing, a diagram that was presented on your event page. And I just wanted to describe that because I think that it shows the connection, which I think is very important from the individual perspective. And it shows how the positive aging movement has actually spawned other organizations that have picked up on these various dimensions. I'll call them the petals of a flower. The flower being, you know, the flower, uh, the, our potential flourishing. We have ha- had since the early 70s six dimensions of wellness and talking about activities that every one of us can initiate and practice regardless of our abilities. And uh, even people who are severely disabled can exercise their physical exercise, intellectual, social, emotional, vocational, spiritual exercise. These are the six petals of the flower that are in the illustration that you see. But through the through the positive aging movement, I think that we have shown organizations have developed to support each one. Certainly the physical wellness, there have been so many. Yoga is an activity that's practiced at every one of these meetings. We have the intellectual exercise with all of our peer learning programs, learning, teaching and learning lifelong. We have social exercise in our age-friendly community and other community support systems that offer the social interaction for all of us that is so important to positive well-being. Creative expression, of course, you've got the National Center on Creative Aging, which developed thanks largely to Jean Cohen and Susan Pearlstein, who was at the first conference, for emotional well-being. Emotional well-being being the meaningful work has been encouraged by Encore.org. And spirituality has been a major emphasis with Staging International, for example, and the Conscious Elders Network. So we have these different organizations that are kind of out there, each one of whom now is having its own conference. And there's some advantage to being able to integrate their work. And certainly the positive aging movement, I think, did that. The question is whether we have lost that integration and whether, well, where are we? Where are we? What's next? Right. <laughs> well, <that is> the <laughs> There's been so many accomplishments, and I think you're absolutely right. Like, you know, what is next? Because I, I know often I'll talk to people saying there's so many now separate organizations and so many separate conferences. How do I go everywhere? How do I prioritize? And so it, it really is important to think about kind of where are we heading? So... Who wants to, Jan or or May? Are you ready for the where are we heading, or is there more that you want to add? Yeah, I think that we're both Meg and I. Go ahead, Meg. Well, I'm wondering if May. Well, yeah, this is where we're kind of all woven in together. 
I, I just want to say on this last, just another question to raise that that sort of I would say we've kind of reached a tipping point with uh, uh, in terms of a certain population, the boomer, the educated boomers. Let's just put it that way. Have really kind of absorbed this message, positive age of message. I'm not sure about the rest, and that's that's a question about uh, where should we be going. Well, okay, so. I, I would like to – we have a lot of ideas, and I'll start with one. And this is Jan's term, but I, I really think it's a great one, and then I'm going to elaborate. The, we, need, we maybe need to have a lifespan emphasis on, on how to deal with aging, because we're aging lifelong, and the transitions between periods. And, and, you know, what's happening with the boomers, I'm, a, I'm even, both Jan and I are earlier than the boomers, and what's happening with us is we're, we're, we're going into what I call the fourth age, and I really see it's very, I see it as very important to distinguish between the third age and the fourth age. The early movement stressed the third age. Uh, except perhaps saging and and i think it was pretty easy because we had all this you know the, the this energy and and the whole no, the boomers were pretty young and they seemed and i think it was really postponing the things the issues that make that make ageism still alive and well and it was just postponing them to the fourth age and I'm going to use Bill Sadler has used these the D words all the D words of decline diminishment the word Detach dependent, attachment dependent, dependent, dependent detachment yeah. death the big D word and right. loss all of those D words and loss those are still going to be with most of us and and in my in in my I just think the fourth age is the most challenging, but it also holds so much potential for a different kind of gift and a different way to participate, be engaged, and to give back. But it's got it's a different population and a different a different approach. Not that we need to forget about the third age because more and more people that the boomers may be moving on, but there are people moving into that third age, and then there's the youth too. So. I, I do love the idea of seeing it as a lifespan, and I, there's so many issues. For example, how do we counter ageism and the denial and fear of death and dying? And there are now death cafes that are growing, so that's a good thing. The, what is the inner work necessary for wisdom in aging, for us to claim the title of elder? And that's Saging and the Conscious Elders Network, and some new, several new books are now coming out. Olivia Hobbs, oh, Hoblitzels and, and Parker Palmer's new one, and there are, there are some more dealing with old. And uh, what work in the world can we do as we age and lose capacities? How can we lead as elders and still, and in a, you know, lead from this place as elders? And what 
is the balance that, and it won't be any one balance, it'll be a lot of balances, but just the issue of the balance between savoring and save the world. And that's E.B. White's dilemma. He said famously, I wake up each day with the twin desires of savoring and saving the world. It makes it hard to plan the day. So those are just some of the issues around this lifespan concept and the difference between third and fourth age. I think that you could add to that, though, the fact that we have a very strong intergenerational programming emphasis that we have developing in uh, through the str- these streams. Peter Whitehouse, of course, is known for his intergenerational school in, in Philadelphia, but the HRA in, in my town of Yarmouth on Cape Cod, I'm very active with the age-friendly community. Here it's age-friendly, it's friendly for all ages. It's important for us to involve school students and et cetera in our intergenerational model UN or in our intergenerational caring community programming. So why is that important? Well, one of it is to avoid the the gap, the potential pull and tug between the demands of a rapidly aging society of the older adults and the and the you know the the social and economic needs of younger groups, or kids who need money to go to college and good education and all of that. So we it really is, requires, I think, a real birth-to-death perspective, especially when it comes to the future that we face with the potential for crises, whether social economic crises related to climate change or related to changes in the economy where people have not been saving, and there seems to be no government action to solve that issue. We need to encourage people to be proactive all their lives, to see themselves as advocates for themselves and others, to see their strengths and to build on their strengths. That's that life planning perspective that is lifelong. And so I think that fits with what Meg has already described as the lifespan ex- emphasis. A second second Wait, um, thing. Add, yeah. James, and before you go to the second one, I I just I couldn't agree with you more there. And and I love that you you tied it in with the incredible demands that the current our current world, our current country and world. And I I just wanted to mention that Encore is now focused on intergenerational things, and there's a wonderful program put on by the World Cafe people, Juanita Brown and David Isaacs, called Wiser Together, that brings elders and college-age students together. And this whole notion of of working collaboratively to address, to get, to both know the perspectives of each other, but also to to tackle problems. I love that. Let's go on go on that score. But before we go on, there are just a couple of clarification questions that people have, because not everybody has been as involved in the whole positive aging movement. So it would be helpful, I think, to clarify kind of what what had been thought about the third age and then the fourth age, because for a little while people were just saying second half. First it was third age that the term came in Europe, and the boomers, I think, were representing the third age. So can either one of you just talk a little about what's 
the third age, what's the fourth age, and also another question, what's a death cafe? Let's just kind of get the terms clarified before we move on, and then we'll move okay. on. Really very sorry for assuming so much. <laughs> well, no, um, it's just when the questions come in, then it's helpful to clarify because yeah, you know, I don't know, know that. What, so. I don't know that there's an accepted definition of third and fourth age. I personally consider the, and I don't like to put age numbers because people are so different. But I think it's when you begin when when the horizon really narrows for you for your end of life when you begin to really feel the the age being kind of being old age nobody wants to say they're old age but when you begin to feel those i i don't know for me i i sort of think the 80s are some kind of a demarcation but it could vary greatly and it's it's more a question of priorities and energy and and kind of what you're facing but i i'd be interested to hear jan's take on that well, I, I do think that it's related to Gene Cohen's developmental stages, the four developmental stages following in the second half of life, the mid, the midlife stage of development where you're, you know, using both hemispheres of the brain and thinking in a more complex way. The next stage he has is that stage of the, uh, the, the creative spurt where we have the greatest capacity in our lives for creative expression thanks to the little things that are connecting in our brain. And then he talks about following age 75 or so, that move to the life review. And I think that really that may be the beginning of the fourth age, Meg, based upon what you're talking about. I think it's reflected by a couple organizations. In the European Union, they have actually have an active 80s whole program. My favorite organization in the Pastor Network is based in Paris. It's called Old Up. It's for people who are 75 and older who are declaring themselves the first people in the world to still be active creative leaders at their age. Needless to say, <laughs> the leadership tends to turn over pretty quickly. <laughs> but they are, they are doing such interesting how-to things like, you know, having courses down in the metro or subway system on how to how to get it what would be in Boston a Charlie card how to get your you know your senior pass how to make use of the system to get use public transportation and and so many things like that so many use of tablets you know use of different kinds of digital tools they are doing the how to for the people in these last years of life to be honest i think it's a moving target that we're talking about because it's related to the boomers the boomers are changing everything all their lives and they're in the process and they are making use of all of this stuff that we've been putting out on the plate and as far as potential is concerned. But they still have this absorption with youth. And they still, it seems, if, and certainly if you look at Ashton Applewhite's <clears throat> new production, which came, which I believe just came out today, she has this new website called Old School. And it's all of these, old, you know, these remaining things that are out there in relationship to ageism because they're still ageist as far as thinking that there's a cliff that they're going to fall off 
right. uh, they still avoid being called old. I mean, I my joy will be at the point where people will stand up and say, I'm I'm old and proud of it, <laughs> and not talk to me as something else. So, and to this with this, I think goes this re- resilience that I I has to be, you know, that people working together, sharing their experience, using their available technology for peer network, sharing homes, you know, sharing workplace where they can be entrepreneurs together, sharing elder care with child care. That that whole piece which contributes to resilience both of individuals and communities I think is also, you know, really moving along. And I think in that way, we'll be partners with the millennials because the millennials involved with like Transition Network, for example, are are right there as partners with older for older adults and developing the sharing communities. I just want to comment. I, I I talked to my daughter yesterday about this idea about where I want to live when I need assisted living. And I think, uh, and the idea comes from, the, it's called, I think it's called Tubelholz in Sweden, where you have, where the older adults basically are in a place together, come together who need help. And they share the management with the staff. They basically hire the staff. And they do what they can for each other, but then the staff does for them. But it's not a matter of somebody owning it and my, and me paying ten thousand dollars a year, whatever seventy. What is it, ten thousand a month in some of these places? Yeah, it can be. Yeah. Can be. Yeah. Hey, Jan, I think that's your next encore project. Bring that to the U.S. <laughs> exactly, and I can try it out myself, right? Yeah, I, I join you. For the assisted living, I, that I know. So, what's what's another option here? <laughs> I have a question I, I, from. Uh, can I oh, just to go ahead. one real quick yeah. before we move on to the? But, but it's from Cullen in Honolulu who says the positive aging movement and its activities seem to be developed seem to have developed independently of the traditional gerontological groups such as ASA, that's American Society on Aging, the Gerontology Society of Aging, Active Aging. He wonders, is that true, and what's the relationship? And his question, is it best that the positive aging movement remain independent? I think it's a good question here because I know it's going to lead into some of what you want to talk about next, but I thought it was an interesting question. Well, I think I, I want to hear Meg's comments on that. I do think that Rick Moody has been, that's why he's been so critical as a leader, because he's been very active with the Gerontological Society of America, which actually, I believe, now funds human development, human issues of human development, or whatever it's called, I, monthly. I, yeah. Yeah, human values. But I think it has developed independently. It has developed, however, as a collaborative. The question is, is, is its life over with now? Are there other things that we want to move to? And is that back into the main line? Is that this, is it a matter of bringing it all back into the main line? Look at age-friendly communities. It was a World Health Organization effort. Now AARP is, you know, feels as if they basically own it in the U.S. and so, or at least work in collaboration, very close collaboration with WHO and International Federation on Aging. So maybe that's, maybe that's the future. Meg, what do you think? 
Well, <laughs> I have not been so in recent years so active in ASA and never in the gerontological. So I can't answer that except that I think it did percolate. I think there was <clears throat> cross-fertilization because a lot of people, including me at one point, were bringing the positive aging perspective into programs at these these organizations, I, I think it is a really interesting question about what form, I, I, because there are all these organizations out there, and one of the issues is how do we keep track of them? How do we collaborate with them? The whole idea of the Conscious Elders Network is also that it's a network of organizations, not just trying, not just one trying to be one more new thing. And I, I'm not sure. It's not clear to me that the positive aging conferences have a future. And I think that would be something to discuss. Is there, has it run its course? Is there a different way? I think that may be what you were saying, Jan. Is there a yes, different I, way? I feel, I feel that it probably has. I also think just the word itself. I think that it runs the risk of, with people of making making it look as if we're saying uh, everything about aging is positive, which was not what we're saying. And so right. I really prefer to myself use other words like, for example, we had used for the Pass On Network, we had said it was for positive aging, and we, we just decided, Moira and I, that we're not going to use that term again. We're we're now really fo focusing on a peer-led learning network and peer 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 learning network, and we'll look at other words. Other words, by the way, perennial, conscious, proactive like aging, yeah. creative aging, productive aging, healthy aging, vital aging, which is still going strong. The vital aging network in Minnesota. You know what? What? It's there. There are a lot of choices here. <laughs> the reason I like conscious is that I think that being aware and accepting and even embracing of the process of aging all for our whole lifespan. We're aging, you know, from day one, we're aging. And to embrace the whole cycle, I, I, I really like that concept. And to be aware of what each phase entails and can give and needs and for that reason I like the concept of elders and 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 the conscious elders network the notion of doing the inner work that is required throughout life but especially as we age and and also the outer work in the world whatever it is we're um called to I lo I love that I like the emphasis on elders I also one other aspect here is that I think that I really believe in moving from cultivating individual strengths or assets to cultivating a culture and an infrastructure that supports positive aging. And I think that we are seeing strong emphasis on, you know, local and regional projects that are focused on the, like, for age-friendly communities and the village network. We're looking at organizations that are seeding multi-generational, multicultural, multinational growth, like yeah. Pasadena Network, 
or legacy and leadership. We're seeing us ourselves like StoryCorps, for example, or StoryBridge. You know, we are the ones we have been waiting for. We have stories to tell. We have lessons to, to teach. And I think that, you know, I do think the Conscious Elders Network does a good job with with those things. But And so does I think that, for example, the learning, the lifelong learning has mushroomed into much more than what we used to, you know, what we have seen as the academies for lifelong learning affiliated with universities. Now we have a, a virtual youth for universities of the third age worldwide. And they are certainly, we have now from Europe, a warehouse of opportunities where you can go in and you could see like lifelong learning opportunities, you know, all around the world. The digital digital community is now global, and I, it, I do think that that is another kind of direction that we're going in. So yes. now, what are we doing? Confusing everybody rather than <laughs> giving clarity, right? Well, and Claire, Claire add one thing. Asked. I know oh, we're close, add, but I have another question. But I have another question for you after you add one thing. Go ahead. <laughs> the one thing is just put it out there for discussion when we yeah. come back. But one of the yeah. issues we haven't discussed at all is how do we reach how how do we reach the low I would say the the lower SES groups or ethnic groups that I think this has been remained a pretty pretty waspy or not waspy but white and upper educated movement and how because how, I think we could learn a lot from other groups and I would like to put that in the hopper and Dory I realized we didn't answer the death cafe question if we have right. time later but maybe at the end I'll, there are a few little questions like that that we can do but Claire from New York asked a question that I think ties in I just to throw out there which is how can we get the positive aging creative aging and conscious aging movements groups to bond together to influence not only public opinion but aging leadership in general are there political or personal conflicts present preventing this I don't see those conflicts to be honest I but I do see among the organizations I see that they're all kind of hungry I see, for example, I, I understand that the National Center for Creative Aging really is, has lost fund, its funding. That's my understanding, but, and that's really sad because I felt that that was, <laughs> I suppose like all other organizations, there's a, a flow to it. A life cycle. I, I, I'd love to have, yeah. I think that that's a wonderful topic for discussion. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's I, I, a wonderful yeah. question, and I think it's it's also a question of overwhelm. There's there's so many out there, and how 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 do we how do we find the energy and time to integrate them? Right. And I think it could be one of the questions we carry over for the discussion next week. I'm I'm really hoping that that many yeah. of you on the call will join the call. As I said, it's going to be the same number that you use today. But let me ask these two other quickie questions and then we can, is it, can both of you go over a little tiny bit for a yep, little bit sure. more of the discussion? 
Okay. Sure. Yeah. But so there was the question of just explain where the death cafe is, and then also there was a question about what was the name of the assisted living model that you mentioned, Jan. Okay, I'll do the death cafe. The the, the quick description is it they are groups facilitated perhaps eventually self-facilitated groups of people who come together to discuss death and dying and their feelings and about it and they're, you know, it's, and they're very po po powerful. Uh, the Conscious Elders Network actually has a virtual one, believe it or not, using Zoom and it's working really well. But most, many of them are in person. That's, that, and you could probably look, Google Death Cafe and see. With regard to the nursing home, it's called T-U-B-B-E-M-O-D-D-E-L-E-N, Tuba Model, an innovative participative management model in Swedish nursing homes, allowing staff and residents to manage the nursing home together and giving older persons the feeling that it's their own home. This is the basic idea of the Tuba Model and an innovative bottom-up management model originally set up in the nursing homes of the municipality of Tjorn, T-J-O-R-N, Sweden. I would also comment on the greenhouse project yeah. uh, from Bill Pump, which I think it does give the same. It's like eight or ten people in a building that looks like a ranch house and is right in the middle of the neighborhood, and it has one one staff person who's the kind of administrative service, you know, and the other person who's a, a healthcare person. And one of them is on all the time and 24 hours a day. And each person has his own room and bath, but they meet together for eating together in their living room, which has a hearth at one end and a kitchen at the other. And they can go and get food for themselves and as they please. And they can open the door to guests. And this is a very, was, has been supported by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation to be set up in places all around the country. Bill is also coming up with a new plan for a new structure they call Minka, M-I-N-K-E. Tiny house. Um, <laughs> tiny house, yeah, which is built with high-tech house for the individual so that even a severely disabled individual can can make can live in this house. It's a small, like one. It's just like a studio apartment in a separate building, and he he imagines clusters of them. I think that's quite different, though, from the community sense of the greenhouse and the tuba model. And I have a couple of other questions. How how might we revisit? This is these are from Chris Kennedy. I'm going to ask both, and you may want to respond here, and maybe it will be something we can continue in the conversation next week. But I'll just say both of the questions. How might we revisit what we did in 2008, leveraging technology to multiply the reach of collaborative convenings? And the other question from also from her is how might we use the tools of technology and innovation to continue to develop, quote, a network peer progressives. She said it's a term coined by Stephen Johnson, author of Where Do Good Ideas Come? So those I want to just comment on the fact that Chris yeah. did a superb job, I think it was 2009, in developing what was called a hub 
at the Positive Aging Conference where people could come together throughout the conference and connect with each other, but also had different exercises related to the aspect of positive aging. It was terrific. I do think that that, 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 that the question that she asked about how to do this as a digital community effort, bringing the pieces together is, is just super, super, super good. I do think that globally we try to do that with the Pass It On Network, but it, it re- clearly, it's, if you're working with a whole lot of co- organizations collaborating with each other, it's going to be a much, much bigger effort than that. Yeah, we I think foundation. It's we need well, another foundation. We <laughs> should talk about that again. I carry that over because I think that's a really important right. question. Yeah. Right. So what about some of the, let, let me also just mention, because a few people have listed blogs that they want people to know about, and I'd love to, you know, I just feel like if you could send them to me, Dorian at DorianMincer.com, I will get information out to people for any of, of you on the call. If you have blogs or book, email me, Dorian at DorianMincer.com or DorianMincer at gmail.com, and I will, you know, I've said this before, I will follow through and try to get a more updated resource list to make available to people rather than being able to kind of mention all these separate things here. But let's come back to sort of some of the current issues. And one comment I wanted to make, you know, as we're sort of pulling it together, that that both Jan and, and Meg, you both made, which was so much, I think, of the positive aging movement in the last decade, at least, has been so influenced by the boomers, as you've said. And, you know, now I'm kind of one of the leading edge boomers, 72, and the youngest, I think, are 56. So it, it sort of propels, you know, the, the moving more to elderhood, fourth age. And But there's still, as we've said, people coming along who need the planning, which I think you know, really speaks to the notion of lifelong, you know, planning. But I, but I do think that with the boomers and the whole focus on the longevity revolution, that all of that has propelled so much of what's happened in these last 10 years. And, and, and now we've been at it for a while. And I think that's part of why we're at this kind of tipping point, as you said, Meg, or the crossroads of, you know, where now, what, you know, what, what, what needs to happen for those older as well as those younger? And so it just keeps, it brings me back to this idea about, you know, vital aging lifelong. I just wanted to kind of comment on that. But now to shift it back to sort of the current issues you each see and the implications of where we should go. So we get all these questions out so people can think about them between now and hopefully they'll come back next week. I actually think we got pretty well through our list if you want okay. if you want a review of it but I I do want to stress I thank you for that underscoring and also just be clear about what are the changes we want and how do we and 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 something really fundamental I see is how do we we need to understand the systems both our internal psyches and also the external structures and, and belief systems of the, of the society at a deep level in order to really affect lasting change. And so that would be something that may, it's just a point, but it might be something to carry forward. Right. 
Jan, other, and another comment that came up, I mean, I think Chris' comments are great to carry over. I think there's an issue that came up about ageism and ageism in the workplace and internal ageism that came up. I think these can be carried over. There was one from New York. Claire, maybe? Somebody from, I think it was Claire from New York had a question that we thought we should yeah, carry Claire, over. Claire, Claire Pankey is the one from how do we get positive aging, creative aging, and conscious aging bonding together to influence not only public opinion, but aging leadership in general. That was her. So I'm I'm actually, as we speak, printing well, out these questions. So I'll have them. Um, yeah. At the uh, International Federation on Aging Conference and also at the UN, where we were, Moira and I were this last month, what I realized was a terrific power of some very large organizations. One of them is Help Age International, another one is IFA, and another one is AARP. AARP is so big. And, you know, like the Gerontological Society or like ASA, we're not visible in, the, in this mix. So I realized I was, you know, we were working at an international level, but even so, what would that, what, what does that look like in the U.S.? Where, where are the big ones? Oh, and, um, is, is that the, we, we really should, should, we need to infiltrate, <laughs> I think, that that's, that's another point. Who, who has the power and the money and how do we make sure that we, ha- we have the perspectives of all older adults and these perspectives that we've talked about in relationship to positive aging? Yeah. There's plenty of work to do still. <laughs> well, I, I come back to the, the fact that I think that we are the ones that we've been waiting for. And I think that that's an extraordinary challenge. And I, I think about every day, you know, how, how am I, have I wasted my time today? Uh, what, in other words, how do we choose how we're going to focus both keeping our, the well-being of our own well-being, but also contributing to others. How do we help ourselves and each other and our communities? How do we focus today? Meg, thoughts? And then I have a couple of other little comments from people that I will mention. Good. Okay. Well, I, I would just add to what Jan said that I really do, I really, the issues not just on aging, but facing us as a country and world are so vast. And I really think that we as elders are here with a huge opportunity, but it needs to be with the youngers. And I, and they're the source of my hope, really, and working with them. I also would just say from, we had talked earlier together and I, I, I think it's really important to remember that the, some of the keys to positive aging are connection and community, a sense of meaning and engagement. And I love this quote from Terry Patton, meaning leads to purpose, which leads to a sense of value, which leads to a sense of dignity. And I think especially as we get really old, we have to keep that in mind in this ageist society. That's a nice quote to have and end Really good. So with that in mind, I think checking out the Pass It On Network, Meg, you want to mention your website? 
Oh, passionandpurpose.com. Okay, and I also have a whole resource thing on revolutionizedretirement.com. So that's a good place to start. So thank you. Thank you guys so much for being here and taking the time. I think that there's such richness in, in really looking together at sort of what's happened, where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. And, you know, the future is ahead of us. So thank you. You've been listening to Revolutionize Your Retirement Radio with Dr. Dorian Mincer. To learn more about the resources mentioned on today's show, listen to past episodes, or download our free retirement transition guide, visit revolutionizeyourretirementradio.com.